You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. You guys are good. You guys are good. It's so good to be with you today. My name is Matt Nickerson, lead pastor here at Kingsway. If you are visiting with us today, we are really glad you've chosen Kingsway Uh, What we've been doing through the summer, mostly the summer, has been going through a series in what we call the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. We're taking one a week, and we are not going to get through them all. In fact, we're almost done. I decided to extend it one more week. This would have been the last week, so I decided to do one more next week because I was just having so much fun, and I just really want to do one more Psalm. So you get one more of these, one more of these, then we'll begin a new series that will take us through the book of Genesis, and I'm really, really stoked about that too. So anyway, what I want to do is do what we've been doing this whole series. We're just going to sit down for a minute, take a deep breath. We're going to read the psalm. This is a really short psalm, Psalm 1. As I told you last week, in case you weren't here, if you look at the entire book of Psalms, from 1 all the way to 150, the last five is kind of like an epilogue, a conclusion to the book. They're all praise psalms. They all begin and end with the phrase, hallelujah. And then what we get is, some people say Psalm 1, some people say 1 and 2. What we get is like an intro to the entire book. And that's what we're going to see today. And then the rest of them, there's five little books in between that break up and all have a very similar phrase that breaks up those books. That's why if you open most of your Bibles, not all of them, it'll say book 1, then you'll get to book 2 and book 3 and book 4 and book 5. That's what's going on there. What that means is somewhere along the way, somebody took all of these Psalms, They're kind of like poems. Some of them were put to music, but they were actually thought out and organized based off themes, which tells you a little bit about what's going on in the book of Psalms. It's a really big book, but it has 150 different poems that have been coordinated and organized for you to read through and process through. So if you want to go through on your own, we'll dig into more of that next week. Let's go ahead now, open up. And the reason somebody said, why are you bringing out the chair and sitting down throughout this message? Well, for one, I'm old and I'm getting older all the time. And uh, the real reason is we've been encouraging you throughout this series to find a quiet place to sit and be in God's presence, to open his word, to talk to him. We've written out prayers. We've got another one for you today. Just, hey, feel free to go through this prayer. If not, use your own prayer. We don't care. Uh, Just to encourage you to be in the presence of God. So let's go ahead. We're going to read this and then I'll say a quick prayer and then we'll jump into teaching. What does Psalm 1 mean for us today? Ready? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word, and we just ask God that you would speak to us. We're getting really close to school starting here soon uh, for both public and private and even our homeschool families are getting ready to kick things off, God. And um, this psalm stands out as a great, great reminder for us uh, to make sure that we're aligning our lives with those who will uh, help to deepen our faith and our walk. And so, God, we pray for us. Uh, We pray for us to take this seriously, but to figure out the tension in this for how do we love the world around us? 
that is opposed to you and far from you, but yet not, not align our hearts with theirs, God. Give us wisdom today from your word. God, we pray for those who came in here today and uh, they need a good challenge in their life. There's something going on that's just, that's just eating their lunch. They've, they've walked away from you. God, we pray that you would speak to them and encourage them, draw them back to yourself. God, for those who are maybe going through a difficult place, this psalm in particular won't necessarily uh, address that, Father, but we pray that your spirit would come and something that's said, an illustration that's given, God, would speak to them so that when we leave here today, all of us could hear from you and know what to do with it. We love you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So this week, I read a great news article. It was about this, uh, I don't know what it's called, app, whatever thing that Google's been created, and I think it's called Imagine, if I'm saying that right. Now, here's what Imagine is. If you study AI at all, I don't really know a lot, so I'm way outside my field of expertise here. I'm not even sure what my field of expertise is. I don't really have one. Anyway, but what Imagine does is they created an algorithm where uh, you could tell Imagine what to create, and it would create a picture for you. And the way that it would do that, and again, this is not my area of expertise. I've read a new, couple of news articles. That's all I got. And, uh, but you would tell it, say, I want a, a picture of a dog bouncing a ball in a backyard or something like that. Then Imagine would go and scour the internet and study the subject for you in a matter of moments, right? And then it would spit out a picture, and some of these pictures are breathtaking, what it was able to come up with. And what was fascinating to me is they are not going to release this to the public, and here's why. Because Imagine's algorithms scour the internet and pull everything that the internet has to offer. So as you can imagine, no matter how hard they've tried to restrict its access to, say, adult content, or perhaps the ugliest parts of the internet, it's out there, and it's out there. No matter how hard they try, they can't. And so what happens is you get these pictures that are full of evil and racism and hate and pride and abuse of power and lust, and there's just not a lot they can do with it because it just spits back out what you've told it to spit back out. Now, the reason I find that fascinating, this is not a sermon about AI, but here's what I do find fascinating. No matter how hard we try, we can't seem to take out of ourselves the human condition. And this is what the Bible affirms for us from the beginning and to the end. And the reason that's so powerful, we see in Psalms 1-1. Psalm, I should say, 1-1. Let's take a look. Psalm 1-1 says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. You're gonna see throughout Psalm 1 all the way through that there is this comparison between the righteous and the unrighteous. There's this progressive nature, if you will, to what Psalm 1-1 is cautioning us with. Blessed is the one who does not do these things. But you notice, to walk along with someone is to just, you're kind of meandering, you're kind of in with them, but at any moment, you could just turn and go the other way. It's easy, right? But the moment that you won't just walk along, but the moment that you actually slow down and sit with them, right? Things have slowed down a little bit here, right? And so there's this progressive nature. You've walked, you've stopped, you've sat. And that's the idea that the psalm wants to get to us. Be very careful who you align your life with because there's a way in this life that seems to make sense, but in the end, it only leads to death. Now, there are a lot of times, by the way, on a Sunday morning, I wanna address this. It's been eating at me, so I just wanna get out there. You may not care, but... It's been eating at me because so many people are coming up to me and saying, wow, Matt, it is so impressive that you don't need notes. And why that eats at me is because, did you know that I used to preach just like this every Sunday? 
I started using notes because I got tired of hearing that because I don't want the attention to be on me. I want the attention to be on God. So just in case anybody thinks I don't use any notes, would you do me a favor? Go ahead and look to the back of the room real quick. You'll notice something hanging on the back of the wall. So I don't have the Bible memorized, parts of it. Uh, what I don't use notes for is the teachings in between. And occasionally I'll write things in the margin or you'll see a slide up there. But if it's up there, it's up here. If you download a app, you'll have all of those also right in front of you. So you'll know everything that's in there. The reason I say that is I am trying to develop my heart and my life for God. That comes with a lot of reading, a lot of meditating, a lot of processing, a lot of thinking, a lot of change, and a lot of work that goes into it. But I don't want you to ever be impressed with that. I want you to be blown away by God himself. And what's going to happen is as you draw nearer to the heart of God, this is what Psalms 1-1 is getting to, you're going to become more and more aware of ways that you are walking with those who are far from God, standing with those who are far from God, or sitting with those who are far from God. And the more that you become aware with it, there's this tension in your heart that you have to manage. Because what the scriptures tell us is we want to become influencers, not those who are influenced. And that's exactly what Psalm 1 is trying to get to. Be very careful who is involving your impressions. Be very careful who is involving the way you think about and see an issue. I'm going to take some chances today. I'm going to, I'm going to say some things. I might ruffle feathers, and hopefully I ruffle them far and wide, because I want to be an equal opportunity offender at Kingsway Christian Church. But yes, this is important to me, right? Because it's important to us. As everything has begun to shift in America, uh, let's just use specifically one example, one example. We'll use the Roe v. Wade example for a minute. As that law has changed, we have seen this outpouring of anger. Now, as a Christian, you should know this. If you're visiting with us and you just can't stand the Bible and you can't stand Christians and you can't stand God, or maybe you just don't know what to think and you're uncomfortable, you should know that a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors and people like myself, we've been praying for and, and asking God to change the laws of our land related to this. We did not accept that this is just the way it's going to be. So this was not new for us. We've been longing for this day to come. However, I say that while at the same time saying, do not align yourself with a political party. Political parties are not God himself. You may find a political party really well represents the biblical position in some ways, but be very careful because we are not here to fight a political battle. We are here to fight a spiritual battle. And I just, yeah, you can stop and clap for God if you want. Yeah, thank you for saying something we agree with, Pastor, finally. Okay. Um, <laughs> Just yesterday, I read another article about a, when I say somewhat famous, he's often in the news, and I won't drop his name. You can look it up for yourself. And uh, he was commenting at some sort of rally about this whole pro-life thing, and he re referred to women on the other side who are, and he used the phrase, like thumbs. And I don't even exactly know what he means, so if that is wildly offensive, some, some like euphemism I don't get, whatever. But he basically just went on to badmouth women who are not pro-life, but are pro-choice, who are basically, he's saying, ugly or unattractive, and nobody would want to get them pregnant anyway. Why are they so passionate about the subject? And my stomach flipped upside down because I thought, here's a guy who's arguing for a position, I argue, but he does not have the heart of my father. He does not have the heart of my God. And the reason I use that illustration is let's be very careful. Whatever side you fall on, whatever political issue, that whoever it is you're walking along with, you're comfortable aligning Jesus with that person, right? That you're comfortable stopping and having a conversation 
with the things that person is talking about. You're comfortable sitting in their presence. Whoever you spend time with is going to shape you. If nothing else, what we get out of Google's Imagine AI is that we can't take the sinful heart out of the human condition. But there is one who can't. We'll get to that a little more. Let's take a look at verse two. But whose delight is the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. This was eating at me. This word meditate here took me a while to figure this out. In the Hebrew, this word is something more like groans. In fact, it's actually translated that way. It actually is referring to a lion out in the, whatever, the thicket, and it's eating a zebra or just whatever animal, and it's growling or groaning while it eats it. And I think to myself, see, this is where sometimes things get lost in translation, because I'm thinking, what does a lion eating a zebra and growling and groaning have to do with the word meditate? And it took me a while, and I started reading all these different resources because it was really, really eating at me. I'm like, I want to know. I'm just curious enough. I can't just accept it. And here is why our translators put the word meditate. You can go look them all up, just about every single one, ESV, NASB, NIV, NLT, they all say meditate. Why are they coming to the conclusion that this should be the word meditate? And here's what it is. The idea behind this is we are thinking about and growling or groaning or murmuring to ourselves all day long about it. When a lion is eating the zebra, I I imagine, you know, I've watched enough, you know, whatever, (laughs) National Geographic, but he's, he's just, and he's chewing on it. And while he's chewing on it, it's literally, he's making these guttural sounds of content and discontent, perhaps. But it's this idea that something is being chewed on and mulled over, over and over and over again. This is why I actually don't recommend you sit down and try to read your entire Bible like in a month. It would be a really cool thing to do. And if you could process a ton of information in a little space, you know, have at it. God bless you. But if you're at all like me, I need little bits of scripture, usually a chapter or two a day. I need that to just chew on all day long but I need it on a regular basis. And that's exactly what Psalm 1-1 is trying to get to, Psalm 1-2 now. It's comparing the evilness of those who are in the world and be careful that you don't align your heart with them and then the goodness of the presence of God and how when you take in God's word, his law, day and night, and you just chew on it and you think about it and you're turning it over in your mind, does that make sense that you're talking to yourself? That's the whole idea of growling or murmuring to yourself. I am growling to myself and thinking about it process here. What does it mean that a blessed person doesn't do these things, but a blessed person does these things? Is there anything in my life, God, that you would want me to do to align my heart with yours so that I'm not aligned over there? Is there any area of my life that I have aligned my heart with something that's evil, God, and you're calling me out of that? You're calling me into a good gift. Now, the word blessed that we saw in verse one, the word blessed in Hebrew literally means happy. We did a whole series on blessing. I think it was last December. If you want to know a little bit more, we went a little deeper in that series. I don't have time for all of it. But it is fascinating that Jesus picks this very word in his first major public sermon, we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, blessed are the, and then he blows everybody's categories up. Because none of the things he says sounds like we would think in America. Blessed are those who have millions and billions of dollars. He's telling you, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the humble. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The whole idea here is the world is going to show you a view and an image of what happiness looks like, but it does not look like you would think that it looks. So be very careful who you're filling your mind with. Be very careful who's filling up your heart because you want to take in the messages of God. Chew on what he says. Think about and ponder and what it is that God is trying to reveal to you because there is true happiness. Yeah, you can clap for God anytime you want. Verse three, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I'm gonna work backwards through this verse. The idea of prosper here is not necessarily that everything they do will succeed. We see plenty of struggle in scripture. The word or the concept for prosper here in Psalm 1-3 has more to do with even when bad stuff is happening, the righteous will be okay. Have you ever noticed, for those of you who are believers, have you ever noticed that when hard stuff happens, somehow, some way, God brings good from it? If your answer is, honestly, pastor, no, I don't see that yet, it might be because it hasn't happened yet. It might be because you're not to the point where God is bringing good from it. And you're, you're, you're hanging on and waiting for that day. The idea here of prosper is not that, you know, if you're a Christian, you go start a business, it can't fail. I know plenty of Christians whose businesses didn't go so well. I know pastors who planted churches that they're not existed today. They just They literally went under three months, six months, a year in. And you go, but I'm confused. One of my friends um, did a fast for, I think it was a 40-day fast with a guy named Steve Furtick. If you don't know who Steve Furtick is, uh, Steve Furtick launched a church out in the Carolinas, and it's huge. It's thousands and thousands of people. They have millions and millions and millions of views on YouTube, and many of their songs, we sing many of their songs here in worship, and he launched his church at the exact same time Steve launched his church, and so they got together, and they decided to fast 40 days together, pray for their churches, pray for each other's churches, keep each other accountable, and then they launched their churches, and my friend's church grew to like 150 people, and he, he said, man, I struggled hard. Like, what did I do wrong that God was mad at me that Steve's church took off It was huge and growing and blessed and mine wasn't? And what I would say is, is because you misunderstood the idea of prosper and blessing. Prosper doesn't have to do with success. Prosper has to do with Romans 8, 28, that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him. So that even when you go through difficult times, even when you go through deep waters, even when you go through a fire, God is with you. And he will not waste one moment of the difficulty. He will use it and leverage it to grow you and deepen your faith and your trust in him. And that's an important truth for all of us to hang on to. By the way, this is why the Psalms aren't afraid to talk about the really hard stuff as well as the really good stuff. Because all of it is in God's hands to be used in our lives as tools for us. But let's come back to this for now for a minute. This is the person who prospers the person who is righteous and doesn't walk with the evil or, or, or stand with the, the wicked or, or sit with the scoffer. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Fascinating. If you really enjoy geeking out on the Bible, I do. There may be some of you out there, so if that's you too, there's a great app 
Uh, it's called the Bible Project. If you've never looked at it, I recommend the Bible Project. They did a very, very long, I mean, you're talking probably 15 hours of content on just trees in the Bible. And it is a fascinating series. But let me just make a quick point out of that 15 hours that will be five, five minutes worth, right? Be worth your five minutes. If you, if you go back to the very beginning in Genesis, you see two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the first tree is here to provide life, whatever that means. I've said this before. If you go all the way to the end in the book of Revelation, we see these trees are all over the place. And it says the fruit of these trees will heal the nations. So whatever the pain of this life that doesn't get fully resolved here, it all gets healed by the tree of life in heaven. Now, there's a big debate. Is it a literal tree? Is it a metaphoric tree? And I think the answer is probably yes. I don't know 100%. Again, I'll let you know when I get there. You'll just have to find out for yourself because it'll be too late for me to come back and tell you. That being said, in the garden, the other tree is the tree of good and evil. And God said, don't eat this tree. And it brings up a great question. Well, then why put the tree there, God? I mean, couldn't you have imagined a creation that had nothing to do with making a wrong choice? This is one reason why I am a free will believer. I believe that God desires the choice because whenever you're faced with a choice to make, whenever you're faced with a decision to make about will you choose God and his tree of life or will you choose evil, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and not trusting God, God desires for us to choose him. Now, the story in Genesis still revealed to us today is that even in that, God doesn't abandon us. Because even after Adam and Eve sinned, God pursued them. He chased them. And as I told you a couple weeks ago, he kept getting closer and closer and closer and closer still. The power of what Psalm is doing here in Psalm 1 is it's going back to this analogy. Trees are so relevant throughout the scriptures because trees are a perfect visual, both of what happened in Genesis and what happens. Have you ever literally seen a tree out in the middle of nowhere and it's not getting any rain and it's just starting to dry up and die? I mean, it can literally at some point just fall over or blow over. It's just being choked to death. It's suffocating. It's, it's, it's weary. But then if you ever go by, say, a river, and you see a tree and those roots go down into the ground and they make their way over to the water source and it is vibrant and strong and green. I've seen in my time, that makes it sound like I'm so old. Don't answer that. I have seen, I have seen some crazy trees growing towards the sunlight, leaning at angles. You're thinking, how in the world is that thing still in the ground? And it's because it has such a powerful water source and its roots go down so deep into that water source that it is strong and sturdy and anchored. And that's the idea here. And the one whose roots go down into God's river of life in that way, their life will produce fruit in season. And who does the fruit bless? Everyone. Hang on to that idea. We'll come back to that. Verse four, but not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. This is, give me a little second to set this up. So throughout ancient history, there was something called the threshing floor. Usually they would take a, say a 25 to 40 foot radius and they would just take this big circle area. And it would usually be somewhere around the center of town. So everybody's houses or the marketplace would be around it. And they would share this. And what they would do before they would put rocks and set it up is they would tamp down the dirt perfectly. So it was like really, really, really sturdy, thick, 
hard dirt, not going to move at all. Then they would usually put some sort of rocks around it or something like that in order that uh, uh, the wind would be able to stay out of there for a little bit. They would take the wheat and put it on the floor, and then they would take their animals and they would put contraptions together that would allow that to smash down the wheat so that what you get is a separating of the important part and all the, the rods and the extra pieces. And then they would take a, a winnowing fork and they would grab it and they'd throw it up in the air. And the kernels that you would want from the wheat are heavier, so they would fall back down to the ground. And the wind would come and blow what's called the chaff away. Then they would take like these, uh, I don't know, circular, I'm thinking, what I have in my head is like these gold, you remember like the gold mining things? That type of thing, these little circular metal holes, and they would dig it into the dirt and they would shake it so that the dust and the dirt would fall out and what you would have left was these wheat kernels, the part you really want. And then they would have these massive piles of grain, useful grain left behind. Now, this is a violent process. That's why Jesus uses this when he looks at Peter and the disciples and he says, Peter, Simon, Simon, actually, he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked to shake you violently. And he says, I prayed for you so that your faith may not fail. I've always found it fascinating. I've said it many times that Jesus, you know, you could have said no, but you didn't. And it's because the shaking is part of God's process. Because if you are wheat, and again, don't miss the analogy. In the analogy, wheat stands for the righteous. Wheat stands for those whose faith in God is secure. Then the shaking, though difficult, it won't leave you unconnected to your life source. Because your roots have gone down deep. Are you getting all of these analogies? They're coming out heavy and hard. So the shaking isn't something to be afraid of. This is why Jesus can say emphatically, do not be afraid of those who can hurt the body and even kill the body, but they can do no more. Instead, fear the one who after the body has died could take your soul and cast it into hell. Be afraid of him. And the idea here is not to tremble in fear of God. The idea here is when you know that God is for you, you have nothing to be afraid of. The worst anybody in this world could do to you is kill you. That's it. That's all they've got on you. And you're like, but that sounds really bad. Like, that didn't sound real pleasant. But let's just ask a really honest question. Aren't we all going to die? And it might be cancer or it might be a heart attack or it might be a car accident. We're all going to die. It's just a matter of when and how. And so for the believer, the reason I can anchor my heart to God is because I know, I know that even when I'm shaken, I'm gonna fall back to the ground safe in his arms. But the wicked will not. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And the whole idea here is that you who love God, you have nothing to fear. When you gather in God's presence with all of the saints, you will have nothing to fear. God will remove evil from this world 
and you will be safe forever. And you will be able to stand in his presence. Now, I love the song, I can only imagine. A little bit old now. Some of you never even heard it. But the whole idea of when I'm there on that day, will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? All I love that song, it's a great question. The idea here is, though you aren't perfect, because neither am I, you will stand because of who God is in his presence. But the wicked won't be able to make it. And then he closes, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The Lord watches over. And the whole idea here is God is seeing your life. When it feels like everything is out of control, when it feels like you don't know what's gonna happen next, when it feels like you're just scared or whatever, God is watching over you. So trust him. This is exactly what Jesus is building on multiple times in his teachings. At one point in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Anyone who remains in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Do You see how he's drawing on Psalm 1? But apart from me, you could do nothing. And then he goes on and he gives some analogies and he talks about those who are not connected to him are like branches that are gathered up. They're useless, they're worthless, they're dead. And so we just, what do we do with them? We throw them into the fire. It's this whole concept. I mean, these images are used throughout the scripture consistently. When we are connected to God through Jesus Christ, our lives are green and flourishing and producing fruit and they're strong and our roots go down into him and we grow and we flourish and life is good. But when we disconnect and we cut off and we pull away, we slowly die and fade. This is why Jesus says in Colossians, sorry, Paul says in Colossians chapter two, verse six, I said that wrong. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted. You can hear all kinds of Psalm 1 in here because Paul studies his Bible. Paul is pondering. Paul is murmuring. He's groaning. He's meditating on the word of the Lord to give back to people. So it's not uncommon for Paul to draw on Old Testament analogies of stories and verses and just plop them in there like you would know them too. Because Paul's assumption is you're reading it too. And I get it, I've been here, right? Uh, now I've been to Bible college and I've spent the last 20 something years as a minister teaching God's word most Sundays. So I've, I've learned a little bit more than many of you, probably not all of you, but many of you. And I get it and I can't wait to come and teach every Sunday. Oh, I got this new thing I learned. I can't wait to share it with you. But if you're new at this, if you're new at this, like you open up your Bible and you're like, I have no idea what's happening. Literally lost. And I get it. I completely get it. And I don't blame you. But that's actually why as a church, we're always putting together resources to draw you into God's presence to help you learn and understand it better. In fact, we have a new opportunity coming up. It's called Rooted. Rooted. Do you know where this idea came from? (laughs) You'll never guess. And here is Rooted. I actually took this right from our website. Just copy and paste it. Rooted provides the opportunity to connect with God, the church community, and your purpose in unexpected, life-changing ways. Whether you've been following Jesus for years or you are new to the faith, this is the perfect place to jump in. 
So we are launching Rooted, coming up on August 17th. In fact, go ahead and go to the next slide. It's an 11-week group. It begins on Wednesday, August 17th. It's from 6.30 to 8, and childcare is provided. You're like, that is a glorious thing. If I'm wrong, forgive me, but when I heard that this week, I said, what if I don't show up? Is childcare still provided? I'm just, just I'm asking for a friend, because I gotta tell the church about it. Now, in all seriousness, if you're sitting out there and you're going, you know what? I have been curious who God is, what's he like, what's he want me to do in the world? This might be the best place for you, perhaps for your spouse. Or I met a couple last week who's been together for a very, very long time. They haven't got married yet. And maybe it's for your boyfriend or girlfriend or a significant other. Maybe it's time for you to explore who God is so that you can identify who the wicked are. And you can begin to find ways to disassociate and say, okay, how do I keep this relationship in perspective? Because I gotta tell you, it's hard. When the wicked is, say, your parent or your child or your boss or your coworker or your best friend, it's a very, very difficult thing to figure out. How do I walk with God in a way that grows me and it pleases him but also keep a relationship to where I can share the gospel and be an influencer instead of one who is influenced. And that doesn't happen overnight. That takes unbelievable intentionality. So if you're hearing this, you're like, yeah, I wanna do more about it. You got a couple options. You can go out to our Connect Hub and say, Matt mentioned Rooted, I wanna get signed up. Or you can always, even if you're watching at home right now, text Connect 317-565-4911. Just text the word connect. We'll come back and you can say, I want to know more about Rooted. Just fill out the little form there and you can even do it right now. Pull out your phone right now. This is a check email or Google Imagine or whatever. It's to sign up for Rooted if that's what you want to do. Now, before we close out today, I want to show you one more passage. Jesus in Mark chapter four, he's talking about what the kingdom of God will be like. Now, the kingdom of God is everybody after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus who loves Jesus. And he's describing the kingdom of God here on earth. And in Mark chapter four, he says this. I'm looking, my slides went away. Oh, they're back. Okay, never mind. I was about to grab my Bible and show it to you. All right. Mark chapter four, verse 30, it says this. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. You're like, thank you, Jesus. That's interesting. Jesus is drawing on Psalm 1. He's making the metaphor a little bit different, a little bit unique. But he's saying the kingdom of God, when God gets a hold of your life, when God begins to do something new and different and unique in you, Your roots are gonna go down deep into him. You're gonna find yourself tapping into the water of life, the stream of life. It's gonna start to bubble up inside you and do something. And you're gonna grow and get bigger and stronger. Do you know that the biggest trees don't get big overnight? We have found trees that are between four and 5,000 years old. I find that fascinating. They didn't get there overnight. They're massive trees. They accidentally cut one down. It's a really sad story. The whole idea is it took years for those tree rings to grow outward and get bigger and stronger and bigger and stronger. But when it did and it started to produce a healthy fruit and more branches started to grow, what happened is more people were blessed by that tree's growing. And this is what the kingdom of God is to be like. 
We are to be like healthy garden plants who grow and get bigger and stronger and our branches go out and become sturdy so that the birds can even perch in them and others will be blessed by our growth. So quick question before I close this. Are your roots going down deep into Jesus? And if you aren't where you want to be, what would it take to get where you want to be? You may not have noticed this, but every week I've given you a prayer. And all I tried to do was take the psalm that we read every week and use some of the language of that psalm and put it back out there. You could do this on your own. You do not need me to do it. It's called praying the psalms. You read a psalm. You think about it, you murmur to yourself about it, you meditate on it, and then you just pray it back to God. Take one verse, two verses that really jumped out at you. And just say, God, in light of this verse today, would you do this in me? So here's my challenge to you this week. It's just to pray this prayer or your own like it all week. Father in heaven, thank you that you always hear my prayers. I want to be blessed by you, Father. I long to be prosperous and to flourish not for my name's sake, but for yours. I also know that you bless the righteous and condemn evil. So help me to be honest in my evaluation of myself and those around me. Lord, grant me the courage to remove myself from relationships that are destructive to my walk with you and surround me with godly influences who will grow my knowledge and understanding of your ways that I might produce the fruit you created me to produce. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're gonna go into communion. I wanna encourage you to grab your communion cup. I'm gonna set this up real quick. Wrong pocket. There is only one human being, one man, who's ever fulfilled Psalm 1, and his name is Jesus. He is the only one who is truly righteous. Jesus approached at one point, and, it, and the person approaching him said, a good teacher, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. As if you don't know how to read your Bible, you might go, oh, well, then Jesus isn't good, so Jesus isn't God. He's actually making another point. He's actually saying, you're onto something here. You're onto something special because I am good. Good in this context has to do with righteousness and obedience. When we take this bread and this juice as we're about to do, what we're taking is what we call the body and the blood of Jesus. We're eating and drinking his perfect life. And I know that sounds really weird. If you're visiting with us, you're like, what in the world? Here's the thing. I know churches who are actually taking communion out of their services because it's too weird to explain. I'd rather just explain it because I don't ever want us to lose sight of the one who has perfectly fulfilled God's law. And we need that because I need a leader to follow. I need a, somebody who's going to influence me for change, to make me better, who's, who's going to speak to me. And when they do, I know that they have my best interests in mind and they actually know how to guide me out of the problems I'm facing. So today, as you take communion, 
I just want to encourage you to talk to God in the name of Jesus. Take the bread and say, God, thank you that Jesus did for me what I have failed to do. He has lived the perfect life. And God, would you do that perfect life in me that I might walk with you and experience your prosperity? Drink the juice and remind yourself that Jesus' blood was poured out to wash away all your sins, past, present, future. I'll start a prayer and then I'll hand it to you. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your one and only son. Really, the King James God, they nailed it. They nailed it. We just don't use the word very much. You're your only begotten son. He's the only one who is of you, from you, of the same substance of you. No one has ever seen you except for Jesus Christ, and he has made him known to us. So God, we thank you for Jesus who took on flesh and dwelt among us and he did the things we couldn't do and he didn't do the things we often do so that when we turn to him right now, he is our perfect holy savior, able to both forgive us and to lead us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, hear these prayers.